Hey there, and welcome to the Money Malpractice Podcast, where we dive into the most important questions and strategies that physicians face when it comes to their money. Today, we are going to be talking about the transition from residency to becoming an attending and some of those financial considerations and hurdles that you might need to think about during that phase of your career. But first, please let me emphasize that this podcast is designed to be educational in nature, but it is strictly for entertainment purposes only. So please contact your financial advisor to discuss any of the ideas or strategies that are mentioned today before you act on them. If you do not have a fiduciary financial advisor, I invite you to reach out to me for a complimentary financial evaluation, and I'll see if I might be able to help you get started down your road to financial freedom. So without that, with that out of the way and without any further ado, let's jump in and get started with episode three of the Money Malpractice Podcast. All right, so you've reached that pinnacle of your training years and you're finally ready to transition to the next step of your career or maybe you're just a, a year or two away from the next step where you finally get to become an attending physician and take home that paycheck that comes with that status. And reality is that we think about all the steps that it takes to get there, not only through our training, but then when we finally reach the end, now we are navigating interviews, job offers, contract negotiations. At the end, it feels like an animalistic courtship ritual or something. By the time you go back and forward with all the different players that are involved, recruiters and, and contract negotiators, and possibly if you've hired attorneys, can get pretty, pretty overwhelming. But the fact of the matter is that now you've finally reached that status and as I like to call it for my wife when she finally got her big girl job as an attending physician, because it took a lot to get there. But the size of the paycheck that she brought home was no joke. I mean, it completely changed our fi family's financial dynamic uh, virtually overnight. I mean, her salary basically quadrupled overnight, just like that. So how many other career paths do you know that end that way? Basically zero. Think about it. What other career has a financial track like yours does? So step one, you graduate from undergrad. Okay, everybody goes to undergrad. Some people go on to go to go to a new job, but some people maybe go on to graduate school. You go to graduate school, a.k.a. med school. Take on that astronomical cost associated with it, plus your time is so much spent already that you can't possibly work a side hustle to try to offset some of those living expenses. You can't extend your med school through, you know, say eight years to do, do med school. It's pretty much going to be a four-year program, regardless of where you go. But once you finally get through med school, instead of going on to a job that is well-paying and justifies the amount that you spend on your education, no, you get to go for three or four or more years as a resident and possibly as a fellow after that, where you're hardly making enough money to cover your living expenses or possibly even on top of that student loan payments, then finally, after graduating from your residency or your fellowship, you're virtually instantly guaranteed to at least triple your income overnight. And there are no other circumstances or no other careers out there that follow that that uh, trajectory. 
And so it's very unique. And because of these unique circumstances, physicians need advice from someone who understands that journey. So when you're considering where to turn for advice during this transitionary phase, I encourage you to talk to someone who has experienced it. So this is most likely going to be some of your former colleagues, your mentors, um, you know, people that have been there and done that. So in the same sense, if you can lean on someone who's experienced it and has applied the financial knowledge to that experience, you should probably take advantage of that. And that's where I get to come in today. So I have, with my wife, experienced this transition. She's an attending physician now. And uh, we pretty recently went through that period where we get to transition into from residents, uh, from her being a resident to now being an attending. And it's a it's a pretty big deal. It was a lot going on. It was very overwhelming. But some of the things that I can pass on to you today, hopefully you'll be able to take away and apply those to your transition when the time comes. So I'm going to just hit a few bullet points here, and I've really broken it down into five big things that you can focus on. The first one is, I I call it, now is your chance. So for my wife and I, it was an eight-year journey through med school and residency, and then finally reaching the end of her training, it really felt a little bit surreal. I mean, it was like the moment has finally come. We've dreamed about this moment for so long, and now it's here. So in a lot of ways, it was like, you know, you, you dream something up, and it doesn't exactly turn out the way that you had dreamed it. But in a lot of other ways, you know, it kind of was all that we had expected it to be. So, you know, for us, we we thought about the paycheck, but not so much just getting the paycheck, but what are we going to do with the paycheck? You know, the what and the why. Why did we do this and what are we going to use it for? So, you know, for, for me, it was let's have a plan and let's make sure that we stick to that plan going into it so that we're not overwhelmed when that first paycheck comes and we just go out and start blowing it all and get used to spending as much as it comes in. We've kind of defeated the purpose and created the zero-sum game in that scenario. So the first thing I want you to remember is that your substantial income boost is only going to come once in your life. All right? Don't waste this opportunity. If you slowly transition your, your standard of living in an upward trajectory it's going to be a lot easier than if you decide that you've overdid a little bit and need to try to rein it it back in or rein in your spending. So, you know, for me, it was about setting goals. And, you know, a silly example from our transition is I had these old socks that needed to be thrown away, but I didn't want to buy new socks until we moved. And it was, you know, a dumb reason for doing it, but I felt like it was something I wanted to do and I just wanted to wait. So as soon as we moved in the new house, I went out and I bought these new socks and it felt great to have brand new socks in my drawer. And I enjoyed that. I found joy from that simple little thing. But if I had thrown out my entire wardrobe and redid everything when we moved, you know, I probably could have been justified in that. I'm still wearing clothes that are 10 years older or maybe even older. But point being is, I wouldn't have gotten joy out of those socks because there had been so much other new stuff flooding into our lives that it would have taken away the joy out of the smaller things. So if you just slowly creep up your standard of living, you can enjoy all of those small um, additions to, you know, the, the way that your life is being made better. And you can enjoy that as they come instead of having them flood in and kind of drown out all of the little things. And so, and, and just, again, to remind you that it's a lot easier to 
allow your spending or ease the reins off your spending a little bit and allow yourself to spend a little bit more and a little bit more than it is to just start spending as soon as it starts coming in and then decide that you're going to try to rein it back. That's more difficult. So keep the trajectory planned and ease into it nice and steady. Then the second main point for today is when should you start using that new income to pay off your student loans? This is a goal that many people talk about. It's a, it's got a lot of strategies involved with, you know, do you pay off the loans? Do you refinance? Do you go for a, a loan forgiveness program? Maybe um, all of these things can be a part of that conversation. But the answer to the question of whether you pay off your loans right away or not is a definite maybe. And that's the best I can do without knowing your entire financial situation. So that's, you know, if, whether you work with me or you work with another advisor, they have to know everything about your financial position to be able to give you a an understanding of what your options are. And so for some people, paying off the loans right away is a great idea. For other people, it might make sense to wait a little bit. And it all depends on where you're at and how things um look for your financial picture. So it's a big picture thing. We drill down into the specifics and one of those specifics is do you pay off your student loans or not? And that's one of the things that you know I could be able to help you with if we were to have a conversation. The next one is number three is buying a home. So this is something that a lot of residents when they move and, and become an attending and take that new paycheck, they like to buy a house, which makes sense. Owning real estate is a great financial foundation. But for me, I like to think of, again, the big picture. There's a lot of stress going on in your move when it's time for you. It, depending on your situation, everybody's different. Some people move across the country. Some people move across town. Some people move across the state. But almost everybody is moving. If you're fortunate enough to stay in the same place as your residency and you don't have to move, that's great because now you already know where you want to be, and hopefully you've got a great idea of whether you like your job or not and whether you're going to be staying there for a long time. And that's the biggest thing. We want to make sure that if you are purchasing a home, that you're going to be staying in that home at least three or four years. So if you're not ready to quite make that commitment just yet, maybe rent for a little while until you know where you want to be. And the other thing is right now, you know, the real estate market is very challenging for home buyers. It's definitely a seller's market. There's not a lot of inventory out there. And then trying to do that if you're moving across country or even across state where you don't know your options. Maybe you don't know the town that you're you're uh, moving to very well yet. You're not sure what part of town you want to live in. Those are all things that lead me to say, let's rent for a year. Make sure that we like our new job. Make sure we like our location. Scope out the area a little bit so that we know where we want to live before we go buy that house. However, if you do... Um, feel comfortable purchasing that house and you're planning on being there a while, I recommend a physician mortgage loan. There's a lot of advantages to these um, and I can give you more details if you reach out to me. My email is blaze, B-L-A-I-S-E, at physiciansfd.com. And here at Physicians Financial Design, we take a look at those things and we also recommend you to mortgage lenders that have access to physician mortgage loans and we weed through some of the advantages and disadvantages. The biggest one is low down payment or zero down payment, and you still don't have to pay PMI. 
you can look and Google what PMI is, but basically it's an expense that you don't need to have that doesn't do you any good if you do have it. So um, we can eliminate that through a physician mortgage loan. It's a great asset for you to have and you can take advantage of it. The fourth main point here that in uh, tip that you should look at when it becomes your turn to start looking at uh, you know that big paycheck when it comes in is something that you can put it towards is insurance. And I know insurance isn't sexy; it's not fun to talk about for me even. And this is something I work with every day. Um, you know, it's it's boring until you need it, basically. But if you're like most of your colleagues, you've probably gained a substantial amount of negative net worth after your student loans. And if you did end up buying that house, then add that to the tab. But you've got basically no assets on paper, but you do have a tremendous asset that you need to consider protecting. And that is your income and your future earnings. So if you if you haven't already taken the time to consider what gaps you might have in insurance, Keep in mind that insurance is designed to protect you against catastrophe. And the biggest catastrophe that could happen to you is losing your income. And so there's two main ways that that could happen. A is that if you lose your life, obviously you won't need your income anymore. But if you have people who depend on you for that income, a family, then they're going to want to make sure that you have life insurance so that they can be protected financially if something were to happen to you. So that's the first one is to uh, look at life insurance policies. You know, I recommend a 20 to 30 year term for most young physicians. A term policy is very easy to get. It's very affordable. It should cover you through the bulk of if you're raising kids and getting towards retirement. And by the time you get to the end of that term, you should have built up enough assets where you don't really need life insurance anyway. So that makes it much more affordable to get it now when you're younger, when you're healthier. and um, I've got a whole nother podcast on life insurance that you can listen to if you're interested in that. The next um, and probably more important in life insurance really is your disability insurance. So this applies to almost every doctor because this is for you. Now, if you don't have anybody that depends on your income other than yourself, you probably don't need life insurance. But disability insurance is one that you're a, you are going to need because if you become disabled, you're going to need to still be able to pay those bills. If you die, your student loans actually go away if they're if they're federally backed loans, but they don't go away if you become disabled. So now you don't have an income, yet you still have student loan payments. That is a recipe for disaster. And so disability insurance protects your income if you are disabled. And it's crazy what the statistics say about the likelihood of you becoming disabled. It's like one in four people um, through their working years will become disabled at one point. And that average disability time is like two years. So just think about what that could do for your income. I mean, if you're making, say, even 200000 a year or 300000 a year and you become disabled for two years, you know, you just lost four to $600,000 just like that. So we've got to be able to protect that to make sure that your cash flow doesn't get shut off just because you can't work for a little while. And then the, the last piece of insurance that you really should look at is an umbrella liability policy. Physicians are like the one of the most likely um, people to get sued 
probably because they're public figures. So you've got your names on billboards and, and advertisements and stuff like that. And then so everybody knows who you are and they assume that you make a bunch of money because you're a doctor. So you become an easy target. So a liability policy will protect you against getting sued, and it goes a little bit deeper than that, but it doesn't protect you from getting sued, but it protects you from having to pay out if you do get sued. And it's a lot like malpractice insurance that covers you while you're at work, except for this covers everything else outside of work. Policies are very affordable, and they're basically just something you add to your home and auto bundle. So if you're you know, whoever your insurance person is, ask them for an umbrella liability policy. Start at a million bucks, you'll be surprised. It's not very expensive. Uh, so you might even want to go up higher than that. So that wraps up the insurance piece. And finally, you've heard me say this a few times, but my last point to make, number five, is make a plan. All of these things have alluded to making a plan. All right. We're just reiterating the prevailing theme here, basically. But the old adage goes, failure to plan is planning to fail. Don't make the misstep by just taking your new income on the fly and just going with the flow. We don't want to do that. We want to use our money as a tool. We want it to help us accomplish our predetermined goals. And no matter, we got to remember that no matter how big that paycheck is, it can disappear really quickly if we're not assigning jobs to that money as it comes in. That's not to say that you can't enjoy that money, but just plan on it. If you plan on you know, spending a thousand dollars a month going out to eat, that's great, but make sure you're planning for that. Don't just look back on your at your spending and say, Wow, I spent a lot of money on that. Plan for it, and it's all and it's all fine. Okay. So just make sure that we you're coming into that first paycheck with a plan and not just gonna be taking it on the fly. If you have if you are looking for help with something like this for questions on planning or anything, feel free to reach out to with me, um, to reach out to me and I'll be able to help you out. Again, my email is blaze, B-L-A-I-S-E, at physiciansfd.com. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the Money Mail Practice Podcast. I do want to remind all our listeners, this podcast is designed to be educational in nature, but is strictly for your entertainment purposes only. So please contact your financial advisor to discuss any of the ideas or strategies mentioned today before acting on them. If you don't have a fiduciary financial advisor, I invite you to reach out to me for a complimentary financial evaluation, and I'll be able to see if I might be able to help you get down your road to financial freedom. Well, that's all for today, but until next time, keep saving lives and keep saving money.